Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. Um, we're going to give it a, a couple couple seconds as everyone starts to get onboarded uh, from our live stream. We're streaming live to um, my Facebook page, my LinkedIn page, directly to our YouTube channel, and then we'll be uh, transporting it over to podcasts. So for those looking to interact, you can interact in one of those mediums. If you, co if you comment in one of those mediums, um, we will see your comments live and you can interact with our guests. Um, I had a question about that. So that is how you can interact with us um, if you're on live. Um, for those looking to uh, get us after the fact, you could subscribe to our YouTube page as well as podcasts on all the major different providers. Uh, so with that out of the way, let's introduce our guests for today. Uh, so today we have Jeff Sass. He's coming from a technical engineering background where he used to be uh, folk, where he used to focus on quality engineering, and now he's moved over to cybersecurity. So for uh, those that have come from a technical engineering background and curious as to how to transition over, let's hear from Jeff today. Jeff, do you want to talk about your background and um, what interests you in quality engineering? Hi, Chris. Thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, I came uh, directly out of college and went into a uh, quality engineering role. And the nice things about that that I enjoyed were you're kind of one of the people who likes to break things. So there's people who like to build things, people like to break things, uh, test things. So that has always been very interesting to me. And those same skill sets actually apply very nicely to a field in cybersecurity called penetration testing now. So we find that a lot of people who have that kind of thinking can apply those skills from quality engineering into penetration testing. So you like to look at things differently than maybe the developers intended it, and you're doing things a little bit out of the box. So that'll be the first thing that I'll, I'll say. Uh, and then for me, I had just recently went back to graduate school to do some hands-on training uh, with the SANS Institute. So that was very important for me to get a little bit more hands-on. Back when I was in uh, school before, they didn't have formal cybersecurity classes. And so that's changed obviously now, but back then there wasn't a lot of that. So hands-on cybersecurity training uh, was something that I wanted to do. So I, uh, my company provided that really nice uh, package to be able to do that. And I did it on my own time and it was super fun. I just really loved the hands-on keyboard, you know, aspect of that and really getting into the technical details of, you know, what is incident response and what is penetration testing and what are capture the flag events and how does all this stuff work? So kind of brought a lot of that together. And then uh, recently, just within the last few, it's been about a month and a half here, I uh, actually took a formal position to lead the product security incident response team uh, here at Adobe. So very exciting role change for me, kind of went after it myself and uh, really enjoyed all the past teams I worked on at Adobe, but wanted to make the change into cybersecurity. Hey, uh, wow, that's that's definitely interesting. So let, let's talk about what quality engineering was in college. Um, I'm guessing it was a little bit ago, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> and how is that different from penetration testing today? Yeah, there's actually not, when I went to school, there wasn't a specific course on quality engineering. You know, we were okay. all writing code. Everybody was doing a lot of development. Uh, you had to test your product yourself, but so there wasn't a lot of formal training. There are now formal classes in that, which are really, you know, taking your you know, test case organization and really putting some mathematical and, and cognitive reasoning behind it. So that's that's kind of the, some of the aspects. But when you're doing penetration testing, 
It's just having a formal methodology so that you can break down all the different phases of it uh, is really important. So being exceptionally organized, I think would be my top trip for everybody. Make sure you're really organized. Sometimes you're going to bang your head against the wall. Like it's by design to do that. You're not going to just get in uh, to whatever you're looking at on the first try. So you have to have some pretty good persistence and not get frustrated with, you know, maybe not succeeding at the beginning. But I would say that the ability to be curious, you know, a lot of whether it's you like to put together puzzles on your own spare time or, or play video games or whatever it is where you're trying to get uh, achieve a goal, that kind of thinking and background and then persistence, I think would be a huge part of it. Okay. Um, we have a comment from one of our get one of our guests. Great to hear you, Jeff. I came come from a similar background in QA and I've been wanting to obtain a good cybersecurity training finally started to obtain my security plus and to start my cybersecurity career. Um, so for those looking to transition um, from the, the quality engineering QA type roles, um, what are some of the things to start doing um, to, to make that transition outside of maybe some of the hands-on schooling that we could talk about a little bit after, but what can they do in their role um, right now to start to stand out and to make themselves look good um, in the eyes of security? Yeah, networking is very, very important. So I think anytime you're looking at transitioning from one job to another, you wanna look at what are the other people inside your company or at other companies, what are they doing? And what do you wanna do? Do you wanna be exactly like them? Do you wanna do something different? Uh, so that's a big piece of it. In addition to the hands-on you know, uh, stuff with a formal training, there's also a lot of Capture the Flag events out there and many of them are actually free. So this is a great way to start in the industry because you'll be introduced to questions that you, know, you don't have any idea what that even is. And so you can really get some good background in that. Like for example, there's, a, there's one called the Holiday Hack Challenge. It's completely free. Uh, it's put on every year and they actually give out the answers as well. So some of the, you know, hack the box and other challenges, sometimes they don't give you the answers. I love the how the hack challenge because they give you the answers. You know, there's a period of time where you're, you're kind of competing. Uh, but then after that, you know, six or so weeks, then the answers are out there. So you can go back and look at it and they keep the old ones up as well for a few years. So it's really nice. So I would definitely recommend that you want to have some nice hands on. Uh, but the other aspect would be networking. You know, what are your what are your friends doing? What are their friends doing? What are they doing at different companies? And and how can you interact with them and, and not necessarily be like them, but use some of their skills uh, and some of their background to to pave your own way? Absolutely. And one of the things that I always say is um, like success leaves clues. So look at what they're doing, maybe how they formatted the resume, how they formatted their LinkedIn page. Um, what did they do in their role or their career to advance? and then see what, what you could take from them that's authentically you and implement in your career. Um, and then back to the holiday um, hack challenge, uh, that, that's from Sam's as well. And right. yet it's good that you mentioned that they keep the, the previous year's ones up is because now you can go back and you can look at several years um, and do them sequentially because there's typically some sort of storyline um, that ties into each of the years and it's really interesting. I mean, they offer a wide variety of different challenges. Yeah, it's, it's actually all over the map. So it's not just penetration testing. There's a lot of really good memory analysis, kind of incident response type questions. They get into cryptography a little bit. So, and you don't have to, you know, complete all the questions. Sometimes you have to like do them sequentially. They've set up the platform where you can kind of do them, you know, based on what you want to do. So I, I like that. That's my kind of go-to answer. Uh, 
at SCOTUS and the team, they also have a bunch of podcasts and, and other resources where they kind of break down, depending on what area you want to go into, you can go to this specific year and look up that question. So uh, that's really nice. They've, they've get a lot of attention on those and now, you know, you don't have to do them all. So you might feel overwhelmed. Don't feel overwhelmed. Uh, just go ahead and try it. And like I said, because the answers are published there, even just going through on your own, just typing all the commands and seeing what's out there, that's very, very valuable. Just to be aware of that area of cybersecurity maybe you don't know anything about. I want to say one more thing about resumes, if I could. I absolutely would give a real great tip on resumes. Uh, you want to have really good action words and you know, in your bullet points that describe what you're doing, you know, really tie it into the business, right? I did this thing and it had this translation to the business. I think a lot of us write down in our resumes, you know, I did this specific thing, but then what does that mean, right? What did it actually do to the business? It drove this overall thing. Uh, so I'm I'm kind of a resume, I won't say resume snob, but I, I haven't, I know Chris, you do a bunch of kind of coaching around resumes. So uh, I'm always happy to look at resumes and, and enjoy that. But I, that's one of the things I see as a hiring manager is sometimes the resumes just list what you did, but they don't actually tell you how it affected the business or or what was the outcome or the customer impact. Exactly. I, I was just about to say action words and result. Um, so, sometimes people say that they did the action word, but then they don't, they don't say the outcome. Um, and then the other thing, since we're talking about resumes, that we can kind of also mention as well is craft your resume for the role that you're going towards and not just the things that you've done in the past. Because right. if your resume is what you've done in the past, you'll always get those types of roles. Um, and recruiters will look at it and go, oh, well, they're a QA person. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll look for QA roles for them versus, oh no, they did a lot of security things within QA. They'll be good for uh, this type of technical security role. So keep that in mind as well. That's incredible advice. And I know it takes a lot, uh, a lot longer to tell you your resume for the role you're hiring for, but it makes a huge difference. I would absolutely agree with everything you just said. It's great. So let's talk about, um, we're about 10 minutes in. Let's talk about when you decided to focus on cybersecurity, what made you decide to transition away from QA into cybersecurity and how you went about doing it? Yep. So after the quality engineering backgrounds, I then did some kind of application development, a little bit of that for a few years, and then made the decision to go into management. So was doing a management and engineering management role uh, for a number of years. And that was great, like really seeing what developers are thinking about every day. Do they have time to think about security? They're also thinking about localization and they're thinking about, you know, user interface and they're thinking about coding. And so there's a lot of things they have to keep in their head. So it was really interesting to see that. And one of the things I see kind of around society right now is there's just so much cognitive overload we all have. It's, it's hard to understand uh, all of these things and keep it all in your head. So automation has always been a big passion of mine. And how, how can we take cybersecurity goals and have them more automatable, right? Have the results of a scan from one of the tools be more automated and in the hands of the developers when they're actually writing the code, as opposed to later in the process when maybe they don't have it at the top of their head. So really was passionate around that, uh, static code analysis and other tools like that. So it was around 2014, 2015, decided to go do the schooling myself, but I really looked at why I wanted to have a bigger impact across more products, not just being on the one product team that I was at. So. Uh, for me, that was the decision that I made is to how can I take a position that 
has a broader impact across all of the company and also goes after some of the very specific things that I wanted to do, which in this case was cybersecurity. Let's talk about that. Um, often people um, categorize that as shifting left, um, bringing it more towards the ideation point um, in the CICD pipeline. And that that's very popular these days, automation, uh, continuous development and integration. Um, so what are some of the, the, the tips and tricks for those that are currently in the QA role uh, that are looking to go to cybersecurity? How can they be a security champion and enable security while they're currently in their role? That's a great point. We have security champions at our company that are actually named. So that, that's one way you can do it. And we have some internal ways where you can do internal you know, security projects and then apply them back to your product. So I don't like to think about QA people only doing QA and dev people only doing dev, you know, this whole kind of scrum and agile uh, revolution recently. It's all about the team and can the team achieve the goals kind of together. What you said about, you know, whether you call it DevSecOps or shifting left, you know, there's lots of different names for it. Uh, get hands-on keyboard, even as a quality engineer, and really understand how the whole process works, right? Get, spin up your own Jenkins instances, spin up your own VMs, you know, do some actual coding, spin up a GitHub page, right? Like do some things and then see how the whole process works through the development cycle, understand what the developers are doing, uh, do it yourself, and then really see how the whole workflow goes. Cause then you'll be able to have great discussions on how you can secure it. Like I, I love the idea of Jenkins and just playing with these tools. There's so many tools out there. You're probably gonna be overwhelmed in cybersecurity about how many tools there are. Uh, but there's some pretty popular ones and and you can probably narrow it down, you know, 20 or 30 as opposed to the, there's probably a million. <laughs> probably, I mean, and then I, I think the other major concept, once you start to think about uh, cloud and um, everything becoming digitally optimized, uh, not, now everything's code. So before you used to have physical infrastructure, cables running, but now you have infrastructure as code, you have platforms as a service, infrastructure as a service, software as a service. Um, how do you go about um, from a QA perspective or even a security perspective, looking to secure all those different variety of platforms? Well, that's a huge question. <laughs> it's really, really hard. <laughs> um, we have that discussion almost every single day of every minute, like all of the different parts, how is it secure? Like, so at the highest level, it's a fantastic question. There's probably no answer to it, but uh, you know, you need to think like people are making, nobody willingly is doing something bad. They either don't know, or it's a configuration error, or they don't understand, or they don't have the background. So I, I, I come from the mindset of people aren't willingly trying. I mean, we do have, you know, I would call them, you know, evil hackers in the world, but generally people inside, you know, businesses are trying to do the right thing. It's either just a question of priorities or it's a question of, you know, lack of understanding or, or something else. So uh, I can't really answer your question, but I would say that the way, the way you posed it was great. Like, how is this part of the process secure? Can we make it more secure? And even if we turn up that one part of the dial by a couple clicks, you know, how is that going to impact? And actually you'll find that by doing that, you might actually make it faster and more efficient. So you might get surprised at by doing a, asking some questions around security that might actually make your automation better or faster or more efficient, and then you can deliver customer value better. So think about how uh, these things might all tie in together for the business, and and I think you'll be have some good success. Absolutely. And what was one of the aspects of your role um, around like threat modeling or 
thinking like a bad guy and doing that as part of your analysis? Yeah, I'm not in a formal penetration testing role, but that's almost exactly what we've done. We've, for the product teams that I was on, we did threat modeling and really thought about, okay, we're putting this in memory, we're putting this on disk, we're putting this on the network. You know, there's various different aspects to it. So think about, you know, where is your critical data? What are you doing with it? Is it secure? Is it encrypted? You know, all these different things. And that's, you know, a whole field called threat modeling. But just being curious, asking a lot of questions, thinking about being the bad guy, uh, how would and then what would they do with it? Right. So they get in, they do something. Now, what are they going to do with it? And what is the impact of that to the business? So, yeah, threat modeling is super fun. I know some people might not find it fun, but I love it. I think it's great to just sit down. And this could just be a whiteboarding exercise with the developer and team in the room where you just sit down and you draw some architecture diagrams and and really think about, hey, what's all the different arrows? You know, if your architecture diagram has like 50 arrows on it, then it's probably too many arrows. So you might want to start with making it simpler first before you try and secure it. Absolutely. And I've done a couple of threat modeling engagements um, in my time. And one one of the things that uh, I like to do is separate maybe the components or the different use cases and then do use case by use case. Kind of like you mentioned back to my question of securing everything as code, um, maybe just fo focus on a subcomponent of code and do, do that analysis there. Um, so as part of your transition, you, you, you did additional security focused tasks. You went out and you, you got um, some practical education through uh, the SANS Institute you mentioned. Now let's talk about the career development aspect and what you did from that point of view, because um, I saw on your LinkedIn profile, you're, all, you're still within the same company. So there's a lot of people that are looking to transition from their QA or dev role within the same company to a security role. So what are some of the things that you did um, within your career to, to do that transition within the same organization? So I'll go back to something I said before on networking. Uh, one of the reasons why I was able to successfully get the role is I knew the people who were in the role previously. I kind of knew what they did. I had actually interacted with them uh, when I was doing uh, application development and leading part of that team. So I knew what the role was, what it, what they did, kind of the other side of it. And actually bringing that perspective into the security world is kind of a superpower. So think about yourself, whatever role you're in currently, you have something that maybe the organization that you're switching to doesn't have, or maybe they have it, but they're, you know, it's not a practice they've thought about recently. So from my perspective, I always think about how developers' heads are and how they think about development and how the security org can partner with them. So you know, in a lot of companies, these are two separate organizations. Maybe that's, uh, you know, a barrier. Maybe it's a good thing. I like to think of it as a, you know, being able to bridge that gap, no matter how the org structure is, but really thinking about what are your backgrounds? What are you doing in your current role that could actually enhance uh, when you go to a different spot? So we have a great internal mobility program. I've taken advantage of that a couple of times. And I think that's, think of it like a superpower. Like you really do have some power there and, uh, if you put yourself out there and take the risk and think about it, uh, I think you'll be happy about it. I certainly have been. Yeah, absolutely. Those, those internal mobility programs are definitely key. I, I know in my past, um, when they didn't have such a program, it, it, it could be a struggle to go between uh, departments, um, especially when um, they're understaffed and they don't want to lose you and they don't want to give you a formal reason not to hire you other than you're not recruiting at this time. So it, it could be a struggle, but you could also take that perspective. I know I've talked to several hiring managers, especially right now, 
and you're looking for those developers that are interested in security to do that role, especially at startups where everything's cloud native, everything's code from the beginning, you're very technology focused. So you're really looking for those that have the developer mindset and the security passion and combining the two together. Absolutely. No, that's great. You just like whether it's uh, one of the other fields, localization, I'd keep bringing up localization, but security, whatever it is, like the passion that you have uh, is one of your superpowers and it will translate well into the new company. So how do you take those two things and put them together? It's like peanut butter and chocolate. Like, oh, if I put these together, it actually tastes better. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that, and, and thinking about putting those things together, that that's the true essence of the hacker mindset. Um, I use hacker in a positive term. I, I don't think it's negative. Whenever um, it's negative, they become a threat actor. Um, they become a criminal. Um, they're not a hacker at that point. Um, they've crossed that barrier. Because to me, um, hacker or hacking, um, you're looking for unintentional uses, new use cases, new ways to do things. Uh, maybe the developer didn't intend to do that and you found a new way to do that. Um, that that's the true essence of hacking uh, for me, uh, finding those new ways to do things that weren't initially there by design or by intention. And thinking about that from the customer standpoint too, is very, very important. Like what, what are you, like making sure that the customer doesn't hit that strange case or that strange thing, or when you click that box, it does this weird thing. Or when you put this system in a new configuration that it hasn't meant to be before, you know, a lot of our code is that way, right? It was perfectly fine when it was running in this environment, but you put it in this other environment and you're like, wait a minute, I never intended that. So uh, I think QA people and quality engineers have that great thought of, uh, hey, what if you do this instead? And what if you do that? And, you know, the developer's like, oh my goodness, what are you talking about? Like, but that's what our customers are going to do. So it's almost like you want to do it before it gets to the customers. <laughs> well, let's talk about that because I've seen that as a, a struggle in my environment um, in the past where organizations, they, they might have a production environment and maybe a test environment, but then usually not a QA environment. That's usually the same as the test environment. And the environments are never the same. Um, they, they, they can't truly replicate that. So for, for a developer, what can you do to encourage either your, your environments have alignment or to, to get the best um, simulated environment possible uh, for, for testing your, your, your code, your application, whatever you're testing? Another one of these fantastically, incredibly huge questions. So you're giving me some really good ones here. So the whole stage versus dev versus QA environment, uh, big, huge topic. So I would say that you always want to take baby steps to improve whatever environment doesn't have what you want out of it. So the number one way to get good at, let's say, shipping more frequently or moving into an, an area where you're shipping more frequently is just to ship more frequently. And then you'll get really, really good at it. How do you make your stage environment more like your production environment? keep using your stage environment and keep improving it every day, right? So uh, there's no real answer that can be applied everywhere. Everybody has a different take on that, but definitely a challenge and definitely one that if you set goals, whether it's, you know, I don't know, SLAs or OKRs, there's lots of frameworks where you can set around to make them better. But if you just focus on it and just take small little steps, uh, everybody is happier. But I would just say practice is my high level answer to your very broad question. <laughs> No, yeah. Uh, so we have Ashley E uh, sharing some good recommendations as well. Uh, she mentioned sandboxing, uh, VMs, 
Um, and then we also have some other folks on the line. Um, Kevin saying good afternoon all. Uh, so definitely thanks. Thanks, Ashley, for your comments. Um, I had those in mind, um, but sometimes when you think of them, you also have to uh, think of the larger larger scope of things, not just on the endpoint, but you also have to think about the infrastructure. Um, the infrastructure is gonna be different um, from one, one environment to the other. And then um, when you think about production, is it always gonna be in the same production environment? Is it gonna always say, if you have a hybrid cloud approach, is it gonna be in AWS and Azure? Do they function the same way in both environments? Do you have to configure them differently? Does uh, the security rules work the same in the in the different environments? Uh, it becomes so many different variables to think about um, between all your different environments and how you test your use cases. Um, so I think measurement is key. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you're yeah, measuring, right. like you want to start by measuring it. So what, whatever you're putting, wherever you're putting it, measure it and then improve upon it. So, you know, once again, high level answer to a pretty specific question. But yeah, if you're if you have both Azure and uh, AWS or maybe an, even another provider, you know, what are what are the different aspects and configurations on that? What are they current? What's your uptime on the different ones? Are they different? Are they the same? You know, lots of lots of that as well. So. That's great. It, it, it sounds like you're a, you're a fan of uh, Hubbard's book, How to Measure Anything in Cybersecurity. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. I have read that one. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, so we're, we're approaching the last five minutes. Um, what are some of the things that you do in your career uh, to stay current? I mean, cybersecurity is ever evolving. There's always new technologies happening. Um, businesses are always looking to uh, scale faster, be more efficient, spend less. Um, how, how do you keep up with all the change in your career? Yeah, so there's definitely mailing lists and podcasts. I think previous guests on your have talked. Obviously, there's a podcast, so it's, it's great to you know be active out there. I absolutely encourage that. Um, I actually there's a couple of very focused mailing lists that you know give you kind of the day to day of what's happening. You know what's you know in kind of the global world. So I definitely stay up on that. Uh, I know we already talked about capture the flag events, but as far as hand on challenges, it's always good to have a thing you're doing. So either have a project at work where you're going to go code something. Uh, and then have it give yourself some time deadlines and make sure you're staying on task. And then with the ones that are online, you know, some of them are time box, some of them, you know, you can work at at your own pace, but definitely set aside time during your week, you know, Google, you know, 10% or 20% time, definitely carve out that time in your calendar to go do that work and turn off everything else. Because if you don't do that, uh, you'll be constantly, you know, sucked into email or Slack or whatever you're using. So I definitely say that you've got to focus on it and give yourself the time and the permission, if you will, to actually do that uh, work. And then, yeah, it's also, you know, we could talk a little bit about conferences, you know, with COVID, that's a little bit different, but definitely networking and, and talking with the other folks out there uh, who are in the security organization. As I'm new to the field, I haven't been to too many of those uh, security conferences, but that's something I'll definitely be looking forward to in the future. Yeah, um, we have a great comment from um, Paul. Paul uh, Cummings, he says, I like Ashley's idea, build a vSphere uh, simulated environment to practice how to implement these infrastructures. And one of the things that you mentioned when it, when it comes to um, keeping up, you have to make sure you document these things in your resume, in your LinkedIn profile, because hiring managers are gonna look to see what you're doing um, outside of your role if you're not in a formal security role, and then you can use the self-guided research as uh, a test case for implementing 
security for testing out how these things work. So make sure you document these on your resume as self-guided research or something like that. Um, and then go, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Spin up your own boxes, right? Have your own home lab, you know, buy some networking gear, configure it, break it, unbreak it, you know, spin up VPNs, do, do all the stuff that you need to do so that your hands on keyboard with it. And then uh, absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Put that on your resume. People might forget to do that because it's not in their formal job. But actually, uh, now as a hiring manager in the cybersecurity area, I'd love to see that, right? These technologies I have in my home lab and I'm familiar with, uh, that's, that's great. Yeah, Paul also mentioned do the write-ups. Um, yes, definitely. Yes, technical writing. Yes, we didn't talk about that at all. We could have gone there for probably fifteen minutes, but yes, <laughs> please, please practice writing. Communicating is huge in cybersecurity. You could be the best technical person who has you know incredible command line kung fu or they, whatever they call it, but uh, if you can't communicate what the risk is and what the uh, yeah what the risk is in your write-ups and, and documentation, that's huge, huge and important. That's a great point. Absolutely, and, and and that's something we, we could have gone in for a whole half hour, um, but we, we don't have the time here. Uh, one last question before we get your parting advice. Um, what are some of the methods that you use to stay on top of yourself with new information without creating information overload? Yeah, so lots of good different advice on this and, and not all of it's mine, but I'll, I'll kind of borrow from the shoulders of giants. So, call it like memory analysis Sunday. Like, okay, this Sunday, I'm just going to focus on memory analysis. I'm going to take this one very small thing and I'm going to just use tools, whether it's a Linux, you know, Remnix or whatever it is. And I'm going to focus just today for two hours. I'm going to just learn about memory analysis. I don't know anything about it. Okay. Then next week you rotate it. Maybe it's penetration testing. Maybe it's one of the hack the box challenges. Like don't, feel overwhelmed you will never be able to know everything inside well in computer science or probably any field but cybersecurity has so many tools and so many different uh, aspects to it just take a, a small bite at a time as to what you're interested in and then just rotate it absolutely absolutely so we're at the end and i like to ask the hardest question at the end um if you had to summarize everything that you've done in your transition um up until now for someone breaking into the field what one piece of sage advice would you give them all right so i wrote down three but i'm only going to pick one because i knew you were going to ask this question so <laughs> i will i will say have fun like i have a couple others but literally if you're not having fun in your job uh, you're not going to be as effective as uh, you can be. And cybersecurity sometimes can be a little bit intense. There's a, you know, depending on what's going on, other fields are the same way. But if you're not having fun, then, you know, it might not be for you. But I absolutely think that's the number one. If you would let me have two, which I know you'll, you won't, but uh, it would be focused on the customer. But if I had to pick one, it's, it's have fun. Absolutely. I mean, I totally agree with that. Like I have so many people that come to me for career advice and other advice. And I just published a book, um, how to develop your, your career in cybersecurity at any level. And part of that, the first chapter is make sure that you have a passion for cybersecurity, because if, if you don't have a passion for it, if it's not fun for you, you're going to burn out really quickly. If you're just chasing the dollars, um, it's not going to be happy for you and you're going to feel like you're in an internment camp or you're in jail or um, you're, you're you're in hell for some people. Um, I know like when I haven't been in, in a role that I loved, um, it, it felt like an eternity and it felt like not a good place to be. So definitely have that passion um, and have fun. Well, 
Thank you all for coming on. Jeff, thank you for sharing your story. Uh, hopefully you've inspired others that are in quality engineering, development, and other related fields to come on over to cybersecurity because we definitely need that diverse group of talent, that diverse group of thoughts um, to so solve the tough cybersecurity problems that we have. Um, and one pitch for a virtual conference that's happening right now um, is the Diana Initiative that's kind of focused on that same thing, having that diverse group of individuals uh, come into the field and um, share that passion with everyone. Thank you so much. Don't forget to subscribe on all the channels, um, on YouTube, on podcasts, and join us here on LinkedIn Live next Friday at 1 p.m. Thank you very much.